This isn't guilt by association. This is that George Santos engaged in behavior that is unethical, inappropriate, and I do not believe is appropriate or, or that we can turn a blind eye to it as a member of Congress. None of us did the things that he's talking about. None of us encouraged him to engage in the behavior that he's been accused of. All right. Good Tuesday. Welcome back to the Sean Spicer Show. It's always good to be with you. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. A lot to get over. I, I thought I got my Thanksgiving out yesterday, but Joe Biden, uh, he couldn't help but just doing, I don't know, what do you want to call it? A Biden? That's what it kind of feels like. You just say something that's not true, that exaggerates, the press generally overlooks, but I'll play it for you in just a second because it just can't help it. Then we're going to get into a great conversation with Congresswoman Harriet Hageman about What's going on in Congress? Everything from George Santos to spending to what Congress has accomplished and what she thinks isn't getting and how we need to reform Washington, D.C. I think it's going to be a, a great conversation that digs into where some of the problems are. Because I, I keep in each of these conversations thinking that we're getting closer. And I think one of the big answers to me is getting a lot of this bureaucracy and administrative state out of D.C. That, I think, would be the biggest first step that is actually doable and something that Donald Trump tried to do. A lot of pushback, and Biden brought him right back in. But this is something that I think in the second administration, he's going to start right off the bat looking at the federal bureaucracy. And one big step was to getting them out of here, not just cutting the size, but putting back where they should be. You know what I mean? Like, why, why do all these people have to work in D.C. where they're not actually dealing with the problems that they're supposed to manage. I think that would be a huge step. And it would talk about being committed to the cause. It's nice to be in DC where you can run around your federal jobs and switch stuff. If you knew that you had to go out to Kansas to work for the Department of Agriculture, because that's where, you know, puts you in, in at least in sight of people who are largely in that business, in that industry, maybe that would make you a little bit more responsive, a little bit more aware of what's going on. So a good conversation to talk to. But as I said, Biden gets fact-checked. I thought we got rid of all the conversation. I want to play for you what he said about Thanksgiving dinner yesterday, he said. In fact, as a share of earnings this Thanksgiving, dinner was the fourth cheapest ever on record. I want you all to know that. <laughs> I look at all the press, look at that. The press is particularly excited about that, I can see. Okay, what, what is this? Whole, he's like trying to nuance this. The bottom line is, again, why are they pushing the rock up the hill? If you went to the grocery store, even to buy sides, you didn't buy the turkey. You know, you know how expensive things are. And yet he's like, hey, see, I just wanted you to know it's like the fourth cheapest ever. It's not true. And he's trying to find some way to nuance it. But you're sitting there saying to yourself, nope, I bought it. I paid for it. I went to the grocery store. This is not jive with reality. But that's what they're trying to do is sell you on something. It's not, it's not really what's going on here. That's what's going on. It's amazing to me how many people called this out. It, it was higher in the last couple of years. You know that. I know that. We all went to the grocery store and saw it with our own eyes. Our budgets reflect it. And it's the little things too. And he's like, Haha, I just didn't, I wanted to make sure you knew. What do you mean? Do you think he actually went shopping? When was the last time you think he was in a grocery store? Right? I mean, he flies to the beach house, someone prepares it. And I'm not, that's, hey, he's president. But don't try to pretend like you know what struggles people are going through. You started in government service in your 20s. 
you've never had a job and you've literally cashed in on all this and now you think that you're relatable to people because you took an Amtrak once in a while and made up some story about a conductor. I, I just don't, don't, this is whoever's advising him on the economy and what to be talking about. Stop it. It's I, actually, keep going. Actually, that's probably the better idea. Keep going. All right, folks, you've heard me talk about my friend, Leo Grillo. He is the founder of Delta Rescue. And how it all came to be is an interesting story. He was out one day, he found a Doberman that had been abandoned. I mean, and this Doberman was underweight, clearly in need of health. Leo rescued the Doberman, named him Delta. And guess what Delta stands for? Dedication and everlasting love to animals. It's an acronym. And that's what Leo then turned his mission into, is a lifelong, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. And that's what Delta Rescue is all about. And it relies solely on contributions from people like me and you, animal lovers that want to do their part. But beyond the regular donation you can give, which they appreciate, if you are an animal lover, you can make them part of your estate uh, so that you can grow your estate while helping animals in the future. And that's what's so important is it becomes an enduring mission for Leo and for you uh, that you get to be part of this living legacy for these animals. Go to deltarescue.org to learn more, to see not just how you can help in the here and now, but in the future, check out their estate planning kit at deltarescue.org. What's going on in Ireland is unbelievable. So I want to tell you, let, let me just start at the top. So Ireland, leader is called the Taoiseach. It's effectively the prime minister. And his name is Leo Vardegard. And he tweeted out about one of the hostages. Hostages. These. This is a young girl that was taken. Um, her name is Emily Hand. And the prime minister put this tweet out. You can see it on the screen here. She was lost and now found. What? Lost? She didn't stray from her home. She was taken barbarically and savagely from her home. She is an innocent civilian taken by a terrorist group. And he's acting like she was lost in the supermarket and found and brought back to her. This is unbelievable. She was kidnapped and, and she was released as part of a hostage exchange deal with a terrorist organization that was asking Israel to release bad people. I mean, it, this is, and, and again, where's the outrage? Where is the, the calling out and saying the leader of Ireland thinks this? For all these people who care about Trump's tweets and whatever, he didn't tweet out about these people being, you know, lost. It's, we, we have such a double standard as far as what the press calls out and what doesn't. This is unbelievable. And then by the way, there's a, Senate, a, 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 a senator over there, Pauline O'Reilly. She's from the Green Party. And she says in this clip, and I want to play it for you here. When you think about it, all law, all legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here, is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good. You will see throughout our Constitution, yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. Everything needs to be balanced. And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe, insecure, and cause them such deep discomfort that they cannot live in peace, then I believe that it is our job as legislators to restrict those freedoms for the common good. Okay, now the phrase is important. 
I've talked about this in the past, both here in the United States. The left believes that as long as what they're doing is for the greater good, and this is what the press talks about too, they don't mind being biased and skewing the media as long as it's for the greater good. Remember that phrase. It's okay to do whatever you have to do if it's for the greater good. And the left believes that what they're doing is for the greater good. So they can lie, they can take away your freedom, they can mislead you, they can indoctrinate you, as long as it's for the greater good. And that's what you see time and time again here. Um, it's just, it's amazing that it's almost like a cookie cutter and it doesn't matter where you are in Ireland, the United States, it's all the same. They all want you to buy into their narrative. We saw this, there's a reporter in the BBC the other day who got caught lying about what was happening. And he said, well, I don't regret the lies that I told because it was for the greater good, right? I don't care as long as it, it like, yes, I didn't tell the truth. And he says, you know, yeah, my story was wrong. I didn't have my factory, but it was for the greater good. See, this is what's happening, but keep remember that phrase, it's important. And it will not be the last time you hear it. It's gonna keep coming back over and over again. All right, on a lighter note, Thursday night, DeSantis versus um, Newsom is going to be a big showdown on Hannity. Now, this is interesting because I, I think I talked about this on one of our debate prep sessions a while ago. Hannity had hoped that by putting this debate on with Newsom on Hannity's show, I think it's in Georgia, that this would give him a bump at a key crucial time. Well, today, just today, we've heard, we did that whole thing yesterday about all the media getting on board with Nikki Haley. And then she has, she got the endorsement of Americans for Prosperity today. The Koch-backed organization is putting all their money and resources behind Nikki Haley. DeSantis, unfortunately, better hope that this event on Fox News on Thursday night is something special, folks, because he's he's bleeding support right now. He's having infighting in a super PAC. Nikki Haley's getting all the attention. We'll see how this thing plays out. But I, I just, this was a missed opportunity pushing it this far out. Anyway, a lot to break down. Congress is back in session. Harriet Hageman, she beat Liz Cheney. She's going to talk to us about everything from federal spending to what the federal deep state and the administrative state is doing to affect change in a lot of the states out there. Plus, I'm going to, I want to get her take on George Santos. There'll be a vote today, uh, well, in the next couple of days to expel him. What does she think about that? What do you think about it? We had a great discussion on term limits on Friday. She's from a small state. Does she agree with me that small states get harmed by term limits what about the length of time that you can be a federal bureaucracy but i mean a federal bureaucrat well there's a lot that i want to break down with her so uh let's let's sit down have this discussion with her and then i'll talk to you in just a sec so without further ado harriet hageman of wine all right guys most of us know what it's like to be without power sometimes for an hour maybe a day a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough 
that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's fourpatriots.com, includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, fourpatriots.com. You do not want to be without power in case something happens. Congresswoman, it's always great to see you. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Sean, I did. I was able to spend time with family in Wyoming. I have a feeling that you folks out there in like Wyoming, Wyoming, Montana, whatever, like your Thanksgiving, I feel like is much more like from the land. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I always feel like we go to a supermarket, we get stuff. I've got this image conjured up in my head that like, it's so much more majestic out there uh, in God's country. Well, it was absolutely beautiful. We did get eight to 10 inches of snow the day <laughs> after Thanksgiving. So that proposed some challenges, but my mother turned 100 years old last week and almost all of my family was together. So we've had uh, Thanksgiving dinner to almost 60 people. Wow. Holy smokes. All right. I'm not ready for the snow yet. All right. Let's get into, I, I want to start though, by kind of just look, when you ran there was a, a lot of excitement because you you were the Liz Cheney slayer. You were getting rid of Liz Cheney. You and I spoke several times, though, um, on my previous show about how you had an agenda. You, you wanted to come. There were some key issues that you really believed in that were well outside of, of the, the race between you and Liz Cheney. So tell me about what have you what have you learned since you got to Congress? What do you think? in terms of your perceptions about coming in, the issues you've been able to tackle uh, versus maybe what you thought? Well, what I would say is, is my agenda has really focused upon returning us to our constitutional foundation. And I know people say that a lot, but what I mean by that is that I believe in the last 20 to 30 years, especially Congress has abdicated its responsibility for actually legislating. And we have turned out, turned over so much of the legislative responsibilities to the executive branch through administrative agencies. So as a practicing trial attorney with many, many cases against federal agencies, including the Fish and Wildlife Service, Forest Service, BLM, um, EPA, Corps of Engineers, what I have learned is that they're not enforcing the law as Congress wrote it. They're enforcing the law as they like to rewrite it. And as a result, you've just seen this enormous expansion of the federal government. We have over 400 agencies. We have a regulatory burden in this country of over $2.1 trillion. That's a hidden tax that's in addition to what we pay in income taxes and sales taxes and everything else. So what I have wanted to do and what my big agenda item has been is to basically go back to the separation of powers and make sure that Congress is legislating and that the administrative agencies are doing nothing more than actually carrying out the, the, the statutes of, that, that we pass. So have we been successful in that? There's a couple of things that I that I would argue that we have done very well. Right. Um, H.R. 1, uh, it's, which is an energy security bill. H.R. 2, the very best border security bill that has ever been passed by Congress. H.R. 5, the Parents' Bill of Rights, to make sure that they are that parents are able to actively engage with their with their children's schools. Uh, another thing is I have been working. I'm on the subcommittee on administrative law and 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 antitrust. 
And one of the things that we're going to be focusing on is trying to rein in this administrative state. So fortunately, I am working with people back here who also understand the risk inherent in this expansive federal government. And I have been able to work with people like Thomas Massey and Jim Jordan to try to rein that in. But shouldn't that be, I, I, you know, it's interesting when you say stuff like that, I go to myself, shouldn't that be something that like every Republican supports? And I don't know why sometimes. And and Sean, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I believe that every Republican does support it. The fact is, I don't think that every Republican understands it. Okay. But, but why? I don't get that. To me, this is like, there's very few things that really, when you look at the broad spectrum of Republicans, I'm like, lower taxes and less government should be like something that that that's like the the entrance fee to the party. And so what you're describing to me sounds very common sense. And yet I get it. They might agree with it. But why? What what wouldn't a Republican member of Congress understand about the merits of what you're talking about? And I believe that they do. And another example of a bill that we were able to get through is the RAINS Act. And the most significant portion of the RAINS Act is that for any administrative rule, any regulatory rule that has an impact of $100 million a year, which I would like it to be lower than that, trust me, I'm going to be working on that, but for it would have to actually pass through Congress before it could go into effect. The rules that are coming out of even the Department of Education, let alone the BLM and the Fish and Wildlife Service and some of the Department of Defense uh, regulations, they have massive multi-billion dollar impacts, if not higher. And so what we're trying to do is at least start where we are saying, if there is going to be an economic impact of a particular regulation, it must be approved by Congress before it can go into effect. I also have some other ideas for regulatory reform that I think would be effective at reigning in that administrative state. So we're going to continue working on this. I agree with you. This ought to be the entry fee. And so do you feel like you've now, I don't even know how to put it. Like I said, I, I, you, like, I'll give you an example. Mike Lawler, the congressman from New York, right? He beat the chairman of the DCCC. And I think that, that everybody was excited when he, when he came to Congress because he slayed the dragon. But soon you kind of move on. And you get to, are people now moved on from the, wow, you're the woman that, that beat Liz Cheney? Well, I never used that as my mantle. Uh, I always said I was not running against Liz Cheney. I was running for Wyoming. And so the policies that I have been working on in relation to, for example, my natural natural resources committee work, one of the things I've done is push back very, very hard against BLM. An example, and this is kind of getting down in the weeds, but the BLM recently issued another regulation, a, a, a proposed resource management plan for the Rock Springs area of Wyoming. It covers about 3.6 million acres. I have taken that on legislatively because basically what they've done is they're going to try to deny access management and use to about 1.8 million acres in southwestern Wyoming. It's going to destroy our oil and gas industry down there. It's going to do substantial da- damage to our trona industry, which is uh, we're the number one trona producers in the nation one of the tops in the world, uh, they're trying to even stop us from being able to recreate on those lands. So I came out very aggressively just in my role as a Congress member from Wyoming, and we have been able to force the BLM to pull that rule back and say, okay, we're going to have additional time to look at this. I have been working with uh, the governor and our state leaders in, in Wyoming to make sure that if they continue to go down this road, Wyoming is prepared to sue, and I'm prepared to do what I need to do in Congress to make sure that we're defunding that. For example, in the Department of Interior bill, I put a bill in that would defund their ability 
to implement the alternative that they have chosen, which would basically deny us access to 1.8 million acres of land. So from the standpoint of what I've been able to do, again, Liz Cheney was a, was a hurdle that I needed to climb over to get here, but I have def definitely hit the ground running and I am pursuing policies that are important to Wyoming. How important is it you know, for people watching to understand, I mean, you talk about the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, not that left-wing group right. that, that rioted, um, that, that Republicans control the White House and therefore control the executive. Because it seems like every time I talk to a member of Congress, they're fighting the administrative state who is hell-bent on implementing these left-wing policies or not following the, the laws that Congress passed. So how much of this is truly important for for people to realize that controlling that executive branch and those agencies is critical to the way forward. It, it is absolutely critical because we also have some pretty lawless judges, I'll be very blunt about that, who were appointed under the Obama administration and the Biden administration are two of them that I think are, are two of, uh, of the worst presidents in terms of the slate of judges that they put forward uh, that are pretty activist judges. And as a result, they are rubber stamping some of the things that have come out of the Biden administration. Uh, and then you, it, it's really kind of a crapshoot if you can make it all the way up to the Supreme Court to get some of those things overturned. We have some good judges around the country, both at the district court and the appellate court level. But again, you have to be able to get into court if you're going to fight the battle on that end. That's why it's absolutely imperative that we have the executive branch, because it's only the executive branch that is 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 really the one that, that controls these administrative agencies. I would like to see a lot more cuts to these departments and agencies' budgets. I've actually signed on to Thomas Massey's bill that we would entirely abolish the Federal Department of Education. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever that we have a Federal Department of Education. It wasn't even created until under Jimmy Carter. I don't believe that it was ever actually approved by Congress. I don't think that we should have that. That's one area where we ought to be returning the power to the states. And so what we have to do is we have to retain the House. We have to get the Senate, but we have to get that White House because there are some regulatory reform uh, steps that President Trump, for example, took in terms of guidance documents coming out of administrative agencies. So the, exec the executive branch working with the legislative branch, we could be extremely effective at trying to roll back not only the regulations, but the power of the agencies themselves and return that power to the states where it belongs. All right, folks, you know, it seems like every time you see a doctor these days, the answer that they have is, is a pill, that they're on the big pharma bandwagon to just fix any ailment with another prescription, which is why I think millions and millions of people have turned to a Texas doctor who is looking for clean ways of getting us back to better health. Um, in fact, we've all heard probably about collagen and all of the medical and health benefits of collagen. Um, and we know that it's been scientifically proven to increase bone and muscle strength, soothe joint pain, minimize wrinkles and cellulite. So, I mean, people see that, but the thing is, like all products, not all collagen is created equal. And a recent study found that, check this out, 64% of collagen protein powders have tested positive for arsenic and lead. That's why everyone interested in using collagen should see these warnings and find a clean and safe effective product, which is why this doctor in Texas created Native Path. Now, he has created a collagen that is actually clean. It actually does what it's supposed to do. And he's not just done one, but they've got two. They've got another one for the evening that helps you sleep. Plus, 
a variety of other health-related clean products. This one is magnesium. We've all heard the benefits of magnesium. The key is to be buying your products in a native way, in a way that is clean and healthy, that actually delivers the results that you think you were. And Native Path now has thousands of five-star reviews, over 4 million jars of these products sold. Look, Native Path has thousands of five-star reviews and over 4 million jars sold of a whole host of health-related products. Every order comes with their 365-day money-back guarantee. There's no risk to try it right now. You can go to getnativepath.com slash Spicer and you get 45% off while supplies last. Getnativepath.com slash Spicer. You know, you, you were bringing up the Wyoming delegation. And on the House side, you are the delegation. Uh, on Friday, I had this really great conversation about term limits. Now, I grew up in Rhode Island. We, we have, uh, we've always had two members of Congress in the House and then two, obviously two senators like every state. And the point that I was making to the group was that for small states, term limits can be harmful because they, you don't have a big delegation to fall back on to help you know, vote to get on committees or to become a chairman or maybe even into leadership. And so small states can climb the rungs, um, you know, if they're able to get reelected. And I, my home state, we had several members on both sides of the aisle that, that grew in stature and strength because of that. Do you share that view coming from Wyoming or where, where do you come down on term limits? Well, I, I think that you make a very good point about term limits, but I approach it from a little bit different point. I am opposed to term limits. Number one, it's unconstitutional. And so the Constitution def defines what the qualifications are to run for the House and the Senate, and those are the qualifications. We don't get to add to them legislatively. We would have to change the Constitution. But the other reason that I'm opposed to term limits is exactly what we've been talking about. The problem with what we've seen in our government in Washington, D.C. right now is that our legislative branch has become weaker and weaker and weaker at the same time that the executive branch has ascended in strength. And that is exactly the opposite of what our forefathers intended. That's why we're under Article One. We're the ones that have oversight over the, over the executive branch, we being Congress. If you term limit Congress, all you've done is further empower the, the regulators and the unelected bureaucrats in the executive branch. I'm adamantly opposed to term limits, and I've taken some heat for that and some, yeah. some shots and arrows. I just think it's a bad idea. I think it would further break this place. I don't think it would strengthen it. None of us want Nancy Pelosi around. All of us are tired of some of the senators who are there over, who are here, you know, 30, 40, 50 years and, and have to be wielded in a wheelchair and told how to vote. All of us are tired of that. But what we need to do is, is the electorate, we need to take control of that and we need to get involved. People like me, people like you, we need to get involved and we need to make sure that we're challenging those people. I challenged Liz Cheney. I was able to defeat her. Yeah. We can defeat these incumbents. Let's use the our ability to vote and our engagement to change what's going on back here. But don't throw out the legislative branch. Right. No, no. I, that's why I come down on that. And I, and I agree with you. I think the interesting thing is one of the things that came out of this discussion on Friday was, well, it doesn't have to be limited to elected officials. What about limiting the length of service of federal employees so you don't build up this administrative state? I think that's an interesting concept um, because I, I, I think you make some compelling arguments that if you limit the terms of members of Congress, then it's not just the congressional staff that gets empowered, but it's the administrative state that says, great, I can outlast you. I know you're not going to be here very long or that I can come in and, and try to school you and educate you on my point of view as a federal 
bureaucrat versus what might be good for your state. So where would, what do you think about maybe the idea of, of limiting the length of service that you could be in the federal bureaucracy? We're already proposing that. We're working on that very uh, type of a bill because I agree with you. That's where we need to get at this. We need to be limiting the power of the unelected bureaucrats, not the people who are elected. When our constitution was written, the reason that Congress members only are in, in office for two years is because the expectation is that we would go back to our states. We would engage. We would be constantly engaging with the electorate and the, and the constituency to address their issues. That's why we have two-year limits. The right. Senate was created to represent the states. Now, we changed that with a constitutional amendment, the 17th Amendment, but, um, but the reason we were two years was so that we were constantly working with and engaging with our constituents. Uh, the unelected bureaucrats don't do that. I know of people who've worked for the Bureau of Land Management here in Washington, D.C. for going on 40 years and have never seen sagebrush. Yet do you that's think that's, I mean, but don't you, like, I, don't you think maybe if BLM and some of these other organizations had couldn't reside in D.C., maybe BLM is in Wyoming or Montana or South Dakota, and they have to live among the people that they're regulating or at least see, to your point, sagebrush, that might be uh, a, a good and welcome reform? Well, again, I will go back to what President Trump did, which was attempt to move the BLM to Grand Junction, Colorado, which is where it should be. Uh, William Perry Penley was working on that while he was in that administration, and they were successful in moving quite a few of the employees out there. Now, this administration brought them all back. <laughs> of course they, they did. They put their thumb on them. They want to control them. I think the Department of Ag ought to be in Kansas. I think that the, the that the as you say the the BLM ought to be in one of the western states. I would say the same for the Department of Interior. The Department of Interior ought to be in Denver, Colorado. We don't want these agencies back here where they are not out among the people. But the other thing is is that they're managing vast areas of land and resources, and many of them do not have any true concept of what it's actually like to live in a Wyoming winter, for example, or to manage right. floodwaters in the North Platte River. Yet they're the ones dictating how we run our, our uh, reservoirs. I agree. Yeah. See, that's what I think that should be the first thing. It's not just because mm -hmm. uh, you'll weed out a lot of the bad apples who don't want to leave D.C. and the trappings of D.C. if they actually have to live among and within sort of states and people that deal with the consequences of these things. It's interesting, though, uh, you know, Trump has made a lot of overtures uh, of policy changes that he'd make, including this whole idea of a, of a new schedule of employees that would allow them to adjust uh, not just the political appointees, but a lot of the administrative state. It's interesting, though, you listed off a bunch of things, HR1, HR5, all these things. When Before you guys left for the break, Congressman Chip Roy, your colleague from Texas, went to the floor and sort of made a case that, you had, that the, the Republicans in the majority hadn't done anything, and yet you list off a handful of things um, that that you're very proud of and that Republicans have done. So where do you come down on this idea of whether or not House Republicans have actually been effective with the majority? You know, I one of the things that I have been not surprised about, but there's a level of frustration for me, is that no matter what we do, we're blamed for what doesn't <laughs> go right back here. And it doesn't matter if we're in the majority or we're in the minority in the House or the Senate. We have passed seven very conservative appropriations bills, which is something that, that you didn't even mention and we haven't talked about. Seven very conservative appropriations bills. 
taking but, but it was out- Chip Roy. But but what, this is what I'm getting at is that it's one of your. And that was what I found surprising is I agree with you. And I think that the reforms that people are making on spending are helpful. We're getting it's, you know, we're moving an aircraft carrier. So it's not going to happen right on the dime. But I do think that it's happening. But that the criticism came from Chip Roy, mm-hmm. not from some left wing organization or some right wing political outlet. This was one of the members saying it, which is what I found surprising. I have an enormous amount of respect for Chip, and I've worked with him on a variety of things. But again, what I'm going to say is that it is the Senate that is refusing to take up the bills. Here's an example. We passed a bill to block President Trump from being, or President Biden, excuse me, from being able to sell our strategic petroleum reserve oil to China. Okay, now that's common sense. Right. We're down over 40, over 60% on our SPR. It's going to take us over 10 years to refill the SPR. He's been selling our oil to China. He can't refill our SPR because oil prices are too high because of his failed policies. Yet we can't get through that through the Senate. We're passing bills. We're passing standalone bills that are very good bills for, for the American people. The Senate won't take them up, but the press and other people then accuse us of not doing our jobs. And I I would push back on that. Would I like to do more? Absolutely, Sean. I think there's so many more things we could do. That's where my frustration lies. But considering the fact that we have had a five or six seat majority over the last 11 months, I believe we have accomplished some really good things on behalf of the American public. But we continue to be blamed because we have an obstreperous Democrat party in the House. And then we have a Senate that, frankly, I don't see that they do anything with the Democrats in control. And then you have a White House that's attempting to do everything, what I would say is extra legally uh, through executive orders and these regulations again, without going through Congress, such as, uh, you know, forgiving student loans and the fraud and everything associated with that. But we are trying to do our jobs. I go to work every day. I go to that floor and I vote on good legislation. And sometimes I vote against bad legislation, but I am for the most part voting for good legislation because that's what we're putting on the floor. So you, you guys are back in town for now. You've got a couple of weeks here in D.C. Then you go away for the Christmas holiday and come back. And, and, and Speaker Johnson has set up that what he calls a two tier system for the for the continuing resolution to fund the government. Right. You do part of it in January. And I think maybe the, first, the second part. Do you, do you think based on what you were talking about in terms of the, the remaining appropriations bills, and some of the reforms that are needed that you're going to be able to actually do that on the remaining bills? Or are we just in a position where maybe the, the system is set up not in a way that allows real reform to happen? Because, you know, these omnibus bills are where everybody gets, th- everything gets thrown in to the, you know, but the kitchen sink, probably the kitchen sink these days, and then it gets jammed down. But do, do you think that the timeline right now is going to allow for you to get those other, what, five appropriation bills done? So number one, I think going beyond the Christmas holiday relieves some of that pressure. I think in past years, the reason they've been able to do the omnibus in in the way that they have is because they try to do it before Christmas and basically accuse the Republicans again, whether they're in power or not, of being the Grinches. So the omnibus that went through in December of last year, keep in mind that was a lame duck session and people like Liz Cheney voted in favor of that $1.8 trillion monstrosity because it was no skin off her teeth. It didn't matter. She wanted to find a way to punish the Republicans that were going to reta- that had retaken the majority and were going to be in power in January. So Liz Cheney had her own motivations for voting for that. 
right now we're not in that same circumstance. So I think relieving some of that pressure was probably helpful. But at the same time, I'm going to excoriate the senators and say, do your damn jobs. Step up and start passing and start reviewing our appropriations bills. We can then come together on with, with our ability to, to, to work together to iron out differences. But up to this point, we passed our first appropriations bill in July. They haven't even touched it yet. So it isn't the Republicans in the House that are holding up this process. We need to be conferencing with them on the Senate bills, the the seven appropriations bills that we've already passed. We should be having those meetings right now. There's nothing that prevents us from passing one bill and going through the Senate and going to the the, the president's desk and another one and another one and another one. What I have found is that failure is not um, a bug. It's kind of a feature back here, because as you say, when we fail to do those appropriations bills, then the omnibus comes running to the rescue. Well, under these circumstances, we've done seven. The Senate could pick them up right now and start moving through those uh, uh, evaluating them. We can negotiate differences and we can get them passed. We have funded over 75% of the government. So we need to be pushing forward with those, Sean. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously Chuck Schumer, to your point earlier about, you know, they they enjoy growing government. That's that. So Mm -hmm. this is not a process that they want. They don't want people to see what's in the bills. Passing the omnibus hides a lot of their additional big government and spending. Um, I do want to talk about one last thing before I let you, because I know your time is tight. You mentioned the majority that you guys have, and it is slim. This today, I think you guys will swear in a a new member from Utah that fills Chris Stewart's seat. So you'll actually be back up at 435 members, uh, and I think a four-seat majority, right? But there's a good chance this week that a privileged resolution gets sent uh, get called what they called up, which would ask members to vote on expelling George Santos. Only the sixth time that that would have happened in history. So look, the ethics report came out on Santos. I get it. It does not look good <laughs> for what the guy was spending campaign funds on. But there's a a, um, a, a Department of Justice investigation into this. Um, where would you come down on voting to expel George Santos? I have voted against it in the past because I felt that the investigation needed to run its course. And there is a a criminal proceeding. The Department of Justice is pursuing uh, a variety of charges. I haven't paid a ton of attention to that in terms of the detail. Uh, But I do think that when you look at the nature of the things that George Santos is accused of, I think that Republicans have got to stay on the right side of history. And by that, I mean... I think that we have to recognize that we cannot tolerate someone who's willing to so dramatically undercut the ethics of our body that they would engage in the kind of behavior that he's engaged in. So I I, I wish that wasn't the case, but the majority or not, we have to do what's right. And I think that that's probably what's going to end up happening. So, and I I don't disagree. I, 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 you know, I feel like the Democrat, a lot of people will say, well, Bob Menendez is still in the Senate and he had gold bars in his jacket. And I get that. And the question is, do you want to be better uh, but, but the one thing I will say is that this will be the, like, this guy is going to get expelled before being convicted of anything. The last member was Jim Trafficant from Ohio. He was expelled after being convicted. And I, I guess the question is, are we a little concerned about a precedent that says that the house will expel you? And I agree. I read some parts of that report, what he spent money on the things that he duped people on is nothing that I would ever want to defend, but you start going, okay, where's the line about expelling a member before there has been a conviction. 
And that's to me beyond the political nature of, you know, uh, making the majority smaller, you're setting a precedent that I think could come back uh, to cause concern in the future, despite the evidence that the ethics committee has put out. I and, and Sean, that is something that I have struggled with as well. But I will say this. I think as a body, we should be setting a line and demanding that people act ethically. Right. I, I think that we're the ones that get to set that line when it comes to how we're going to judge ourselves and how we're going to view ourselves. We have an enormous amount of responsibility that is placed on our soldier shoulders by the American public. And I believe that it is appropriate that we demand that people act ethically. Are there Democrats? Hey, and I, 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 I'm 100% on board on that. The one thing that I think is interesting, and I'll leave it on this, I hate to leave it on a sour note, is he did this, um, they call it, it used to be called Twitter Spaces. I don't even know now. It's called X, but it's like a town hall on Twitter. And he was basically very defiant, saying that, you know, he's going out in a blaze of glory, referring to himself as the Mary Magdalene of, of, of the House, saying that members of Congress do bad things all the time. And if we're going to start expelling people for bad behavior on unethical things, there's members of Congress that, that cast votes while drunk. There's members that are engaged in an uh, inappropriate relationship with lobbyists. So, I, I guess my question is, okay, if we go down that path, and I'm I'm with you on the ethical standards, but are you concerned at all about a what he may say on the way out, or b where that line starts to go going forward? So number one, I think that everybody recognizes that that a badger is the most dangerous when you've got him cornered, and I think that that's what I think that that's what George Santos feels like. I think that he feels like he's backed into a corner and he's starting to lash out. I'm sorry to see that. None of us did the things that he's talking about. None of us encouraged him to engage in the behavior that he's been encouraged or that he's been that he's been accused of. Um, the other thing is, is that he has to take responsibility for his own actions. Right. Whether other people engage in bad acts isn't the question that we are addressing right here. This isn't guilt by association. This is that George Santos engaged in behavior that is unethical, inappropriate, and I do not believe is appropriate or, or that we can turn a blind eye to it as a member of Congress, regardless of whether he's a Republican or Democrat. I believe we have to have standards. Uh, what he's going to say on the way out the door, I don't know what that is. Um, but at the same time, you know, name names, George, if that's if that's where you want to go. Uh, I don't think it behooves him. I don't think it it it, sir, it, may, it does any service for anybody. But again, I, I think he feels like a badger who's backed into a corner. I'm sorry for that. I, I, I like George personally. I wish this wouldn't have happened. But we have to have some standards if we're going to expect the people of the of this country to rely on us to make good laws. What a great way to end it on a, on a very positive note about ethics. Congresswoman, always great to chat with you. Appreciate your insight and thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Sean. All right, folks, thanks for being with us. Uh, great conversation. I wanna know what you think. I love the feedback that you give me on the show. Comments in YouTube and Rumble, texting me 571-441-4991. You can join the VIP group seanspicershow.com slash VIP. We do a weekly Q&A where I can answer your questions. I take your suggestions. Uh, reminder, again, we're on the first now at 7 p.m. We have moved into primetime, 7 p.m. as the lead into Bill O'Reilly. But continue to watch us on Apple. Give us that five-star review. Even if you're not listening on audio, you never know. So go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, subscribe, hit the notification button, give us a five-star review, and then do the same on Rumble and YouTube as well. We've got a great week ahead of us with some amazing guests. I look forward to seeing you right back here 
tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show.